Welcome to the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast, episode 126. Greetings and welcome to the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Don Cardenas, and I hope, well, I hope 2024 is uh, starting off with a bang for all of you. Um, if not, I understand. It's uh, It's been an interesting one already so far this year. Uh, last year, I kind of started the uh, podcast with an episode detailing all the things I was going to be doing for the for the year and the things I wanted to get done, and um, I got like 50% of that done, um, <laughs> so I felt kind of uh, uh, unaccomplished about it. But then I sat back and I just looked at everything I did. You know, I ended up drawing full four full issues of comics last year, over 20 pages each, um, which is the most I've ever done in a full year. Considering, you know, I only have like a, you know, barely a part-time job allotment of hours to draw uh, comics every week. So, you know, I I can't be mad at that. You know, I put out at least 20 plus episodes of the podcast. We have some video versions of the podcast out. I uh, wrote and recorded two instrumental tracks for Evie and the Hellsings. I had two successful Kickstarter campaigns for Evie and the Hellsings. Helped fulfill... Uh, both of them with commissions and sending out packages and stuff. And yeah, so looking back at 2023 work-wise, I didn't get everything I thought I was going to get done done, but I certainly did a lot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep it chill for 2024. And by that, I mean really focusing on reasonable expectations of things. That go that stems to, you know, my own uh, issuing of like when telling people when I'm going to have things done for deadlines and for just expecting things out of myself with the podcast and music and things like that. Uh, that said, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the ground running, you know, I'm putting final, final touches on spend the night issue four. I'm laying out even the Helsing's issue three at the same time. Uh, I've put out a new song at the very end of the year, a cover song with my buddy, Patrick Brower and Michael Neff. Um, under the band name uh, Variant, which is kind of my uh, general band name I have for everything. And uh, we put out a cover of the Kiss song, God of Thunder, and I thought it came out pretty kick-ass. So I went and I uh, had that. I got the rights to it and everything, thanks to DistroKid, and it was super easy. So I went and put that out, and uh, I really appreciated the reception to it. It was a lot of fun to do. And if you haven't, please go check it out. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. It's just a really fun you know, more modern take on a, a Kiss song that's uh, that's pretty kick-ass. And I think Michael and Patrick did just a, an amazing job on their end on bass and vocals. And uh, I really like how everything came out. On top of that, you know, I have two songs that I'm just putting final touches on mixing on. Uh, so I'm hoping to get those out. You know, I'm trying to shoot for like a song a quarter. You know, again, I'm trying to be really relaxed about it, but I am making sure I'm d- devoting time to it. I'm trying to be much better with scheduling my time reasonably and it's very difficult it's very difficult the uh life is, is, has already been not been making that very easy uh, i kind of ended 2023 with just being sick if you can hear my voice now i'm still kind of holding on to some sickness you know ever since october uh apparently i've developed some bronchitis stuff and then that developed into like a pneumonia slash uh you know strep throat thing and around thanksgiving 
then that cleared up and then just i've had this bronchitis thing that just keeps kind of swinging back and forth uh with me and you know best as the doctors can say is like he is kind of get through it so i'm, I'm doing my best <laughs> to, to, to get through it and taking care of myself and all that but yeah it really sucks um especially when you know it just kind of like flares up out of nowhere but apparently that's just uh something that's i'm going to deal with now so we'll see we'll see um but, you know, I'm, I'm not letting it deter me too much. Uh, I, again, I hit the ground running 2024. And, uh, yeah, lots of stuff. Lots of cool stuff is going to be happening. Um, I've been putting out some video podcasts, you know, video versions of the podcast, which, you know, have been received really well. I'm appreciating that. Uh, those are up on YouTube. And those are the edit. Those are just the interviews. They're not this portion of it. Um, I don't know if anyone really wants just... A few minutes of me rambling straight into a camera <laughs> uh before an interview so i'm trying to keep it just focused on the guests with that uh but those those are been fun to do i've got my templates for everything set to try to make my life a little bit easier so i can kind of just like drop things in relatively quickly and uh yeah uh i wanted to do a best of 2023 podcast where i talk about everything uh that was my favorite you know comics coffee and metal 2023 and uh, I still might do that. I might, I might just do a quickie one for the end of the month or something like that. But, you know, this intro is already getting way too long. And, you know, I really want everyone to check out this interview with uh, my guest, Nelson Blake, uh, who's he's just a rad dude. You know, Nelson's like the, like the, you know, the skilled version of things I want to do. He's a fantastic illustrator. He's a fantastic guitar player. He knows his shit about both big time. And uh, I... I am both just, you know, really happy for all the cool stuff he's doing and the stuff he's getting to do, and also just, you know, taking notes, <laughs> taking notes on the stuff he says and and uh, the approaches he's taken because uh, he's got a lot of really, really insightful and interesting things to say about not just comics, but music and, and all that. So his band Locked in a Vacancy, their EP... Well, initially not something that's my cup of tea. It's a little bit more on the hardcore side of metal, but I kind of have been getting into a little bit of that. And it's really good. It's a really good EP. And the fact that it's an EP and it's short, like, you know, I'm finding myself more drawn to that kind of format these days just because I can pop it in real quick, get a few listens, and really kind of ingest the material by repetition as opposed to, like, just feeling like I have to sit for, like, an hour or, like, focus for an hour at a time, you know, getting you know 20 to 30 minutes to just plow through some music um which doesn't sound like i'm listening to it intently but you know you know what i mean it's like you're just you know you're, you're getting that repetition of it because you can play it a few more times and you get familiarity with it and it's just really cool you know and i like i like i'm finding myself really liking that so uh i'm uh highly recommending you go check out their ep they got a video dropping soon um as of recording it is not out yet but i'll make sure there's a link to their youtube page so you can Go check that out in their Instagram page so you can follow them. And when that drops, uh, you can go check that out. But yeah, I mean, I, again, I hope 2024 is looking great for all of you. I got lots of plans, but I'm doing my best to make sure they're reasonable as hell. And uh, and all that, you know, the, I'm looking forward to, you know, growing the podcast a bit more in 2024. I kind of wavered a bit in the past couple of years, really trying to push for things, but trying to give it some focus not make the podcast the uh the you know redheaded stepchild of my uh my uh creative output so uh yeah but again you know i got 
more EV, more spend the night, you know, hopefully some, uh, you know, I, I'm able to stick to a schedule and get those, get some music out, uh, have an EP by the end of the year. There's other music I'm working on with other people that, you know, it's kind of in their, in their court right now. So that really depends on when it gets done, but you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm psyched. I, you know, I en ended, uh, 2023 almost kind of limping a little bit, but I'm psyched for 2024. Let's get shit done. And uh, I hope you're feeling the same way. All right, let's get to it. Have an amazing returning guest. Not only is he a incredibly talented artist who's worked for Marvel, DC, and AWA, he's also an incredible guitar player and uh, his, you know, legendary or I don't know how you guys prefer to uh, be uh, be called legendary, historic, <laughs> classic. <laughs> I don't know anymore, but. The Locked in a Vacancy, uh, the hardcore band from New York, they're back with a new EP, and uh, it's 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 awesome. It's it's it sounds amazing, and I can't wait to talk more about the gear and all that. But first and foremost, let's welcome on the show Nelson Blake. The second. Thank you welcome so much, back. John. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, appreciate the intro. It's funny you say the uh, legendary Locked in a Vacancy, right? So yeah. my perspective on the band is still kind of like, well, no one knows us, no one's heard of us. Generally, that's true, but it's not always true. And when it's not true, it surprises me. So we were playing this show in um, Long Island uh, maybe two months ago now, right? And mm -hmm. the band, two bands before us. So like, you know, when, they, when we have shows, uh, the bands before will thank all of the bands who performed and set everybody up for the bands coming in. And this band, who was actually a really good band, um, it, the name escapes me, but it's not because I didn't like the band, but it's a name that's hard to remember. It's like the, the Left Behind or something like that. I'll, I'll try to find the name of that at some point and tweet it out. They were a good band. And uh, the most similar to us, actually, in, in the style, like in the approach. And he said, the legendary Locked in the Vacancy. And the crowd did this like big, crazy cheer. And I was like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you're around forever. But um, <laughs> and, and that show actually turned out to be a locked in a vacancy show. Uh, we were playing with some, again, a bunch of other really good bands. I think actually everybody played really well that night. But I thought the headliners uh, were going to be the big draw. But it actually turned out to be us. And that, that, that felt really good, I have to say. I, that, you know, when, when that <laughs> happens, it's not all the time because we're not, you know, uh, Metallica. But <laughs> when it does happen, it's hey. quite nice. Hey, people were clearly pumped that that you guys were back because, uh, yeah. you know, the the his, you know looking back, the history of of you guys being together and you being in the band, you know, it's a little you know start and stop, you would say, yes. um, but you guys definitely made an impression because people seem to be really excited because whenever you, you know, share, you know share a post or something about the the any of the stuff you guys are doing right now, you know, I I see people's response to it and I. You know, there's just Googling the band, looking around, you know, to get some info and just familiarize, familiarize myself a bit more with them. Uh, I see how much people, like, are stoked you guys are back. <laughs> you Thank guys you, man. I appreciate that. There's lots of comments on, on the metal websites, which can be a little hurry sometimes. But, yeah. you know, for you guys, it seems to be, uh, from what I've seen, just generally just really positive, And that's awesome because I'm not typically, you know, I don't lean towards the hardcore part of metal. Mm -hmm. um, I'm starting to get there though. Yeah. Um, awesome person and writer Mark Bouchard. Um, they they are really into hardcore and stuff, and and they suggested a few bands to me, and it, mm -hmm. and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> just thrashy enough. 
where I'm like, okay, I can get in through the, thr the thrash uh, veil of the hardcore part. Right. And then um, I believe you tagged me in one of the songs you guys put out. You think you're because you're like this might be your cup of tea or something like that. I think, mm -hmm. and uh, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly was. There's um, I believe it was the. Uh, let me double check the title here, because I had it up here before. I, of, of church and state, yeah, because you had yeah. that breakdown part, and I'm like, that's, that's my bread and butter section yeah. right there. <laughs> so you know, it's that, funny that, because like. The, the lock in the vacancy, um, the way we came up, it first started not even as a hardcore band. It started as an indie rock band. And if you look at the name, which comes from you know John Hughes movie, movie The Breakfast Club, right? Uh, so Judd Nelson says mm -hmm. something like, you know, I guess nothing to do when you're locked in the vacancy, something like that, right? So uh, that is a indie rock kind of band name. It's not like the most yeah. metal band name in the world. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Hector Rodriguez, who started the band, he was really into like sunny day real estate and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it was really good melodic stuff. But then he started to get more into the New York City hardcore scene. And mm -hmm. so bands like Shutdown, Indecision, Fahrenheit, like all of those bands were really popping at the time. And they start and Locked in a Vacancy started getting more aggressive. And in that period, that's when they were like a hardcore band. But by the time I joined, we were quickly transferring over to be more of a metal band. But what happened was a lot of bands were doing that because all of the Swedish stuff was coming in. So like In Flames and At The Gates and mm -hmm. Meshuggah, all of that stuff uh, was coming over. Um, one of my favorite bands, I have to mention, Arc Enemy. Can't mention, can't go without mentioning Arc Enemy. Uh oh, Ar yeah, yeah, they're great. Absolutely great, right? And so we were listening to that stuff religiously, and I was never a hardcore guy, right? Like, so I went to those yeah. shows. What I loved about the shows was the energy. Uh, all of the drummers are usually fantastic, so that part was entertaining. But I wasn't into like the screaming, and there's like mm -hmm. a how do you say like a looseness to hardcore that I personally wasn't into. Like, there's a lot more noise and stuff like that. And I told the band yeah. when I joined, I'm a metal guy, you know? So <laughs> I'll fit in as much as I can, but that's where I'm coming from. So I can learn your songs and play them, but when we start writing new stuff, I'm really going to be writing mostly metal because my influences are Pantera and the Ninja Gaiden soundtrack, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, coincidentally, that was happening to a lot of bands in the new york new jersey connecticut long island boston area and this is where metalcore came from and there's a lot less hardcore in metalcore the the, the, the two things that really stayed are the screaming that style of vocals and the breakdowns yeah. and the breakdowns in in metalcore and metalcore influenced metal because now they're kind of all over the place they're in deathcore mm -hmm. and all that other stuff right um those breakdowns came from really more the sing-alongs from like hardcore and there was a band called candiria that had these really tight off time style breakdowns mm -hmm. and then mashuga which was like break down the band they're like the neptunes of metal yeah. to me where they just like took the <laughs> the dance part and made the whole album that so yeah at least before they changed, it got more like droney and stuff like that. But back in the day, they were like thrash metal, breakdown, 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 saxophone style solo, breakdown, breakdown. <laughs> uh, at least that's how we heard it back then. 
Yeah, yeah. And that was how it all turned into that. So it's funny because from the outside looking in, our origins are as a New York City hardcore band. But from the inside looking out, we're the metal band in this scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, which is kind yeah, of funny. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's definitely, and that's probably why you know, I'm quickly taking to your guys' music, uh, the, yeah. including, you know, mainly with the stuff you've uh, contributed to writing to, because, you know, that's my the metal in. You know, I think we have a lot of the same, you know, touchstone bands, yeah. you know, you know, like Pantera and stuff like that, where, uh, you know, I can I can hear that influence in, and I think that's kind of where my, you know, more bands like that, I think it'll get me into that because I do. You know, it's not that I'm against like screaming all the time. Of course not. You know, that's mm -hmm. I, I really, you know, ten years ago, yeah, I would have said no, thank you. <laughs> but you know, maybe well, I guess it's been more than ten years, geez. But you know, in the early two thousands, <laughs> I would have been yeah. like, no, I, I no, no thanks. It's not, it's not my thing. Pantera is the screamiest I get, or or Static X, and they were screaming in key. So <laughs> you know, right, right. You know, that, that 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 that's 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 the extent of where I went. But I've really just been all over the place now because one of my favorite bands right now is orbit culture and they're mm -hmm. you know there's gutturals are just sickening you know sickeningly low just and but yeah. they also have that contrast with you know the you know very james hetfield and justice for all era kind of singing snarl kind of thing happening so there is that there is that um uh, th that diversity with within their sound and the dynamics and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm finding in a lot more of these hardcore ish or crossover, whatever we want to call it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, you know, and that's, and that's, that's a, that's a, a separate thing, but you know, so many people like, you know, what, what, genre, what sub genre of metal is this band? And it's going to be, you ask five people, they're going to give you five different answers. You know? It's worse <laughs> now because yeah, when we is, came up, there was like, it was always kind of silly to for mm -hmm. me it was always kind of silly to call metal anything other than metal i felt yeah. like especially for like true metal not and and mm -hmm. i will and i'm already doing it but i would separate the metal that's much closer to hard rock right so like scorpions and white snake and rat and that stuff because it's yeah. trying to do something different right like their mm -hmm. music was partially made for you know really date music almost and party music in, yeah. in a very you know almost really in the same lane that hip-hop and rock and roll have been at times we're going to get drunk and we're going to go to a party we're going to get girls mm -hmm. we go home and have sex there's part of that kind of thing metal has never really been a part of that on mass right so when you look at yeah. metallica megadeth pantera death you know, Cannibal mm -hmm. Core, Slayer. You go through all the bands that are like considered metal bands. They all come more from a place of here's kick your ass music with a kick your ass message kind of thing. Whether it's something sillier like blah, blah, blood and guts or something more personal like this is my life story or something more political like government stuff, Rage Against the Machine. I would, even though Rage yeah. Against the Machine has a hip hop metal sound, to me, they're more just a metal band and really kind of the yeah. beginning. Yeah of the metalcore stuff because they had the breakdowns and all of that stuff kind of uh first in the way that they were doing it um but that spirit i think is what makes the genre and that spirit mm -hmm. to me encompasses basically everybody in metal for the most part um yeah 
you know, even power metal, talking about dragon and stuff. Mm-hmm. From a musical perspective, I look at metal, when you look at like metal rhythms, to me, there's the heartbeat, there's the stomp, there's the getting on your horse and, and chase and, you know, charging into battle. Yeah. These are like the general beats. There's the escalated yeah. heartbeat, like the anxiety attack heartbeat, right? There's the slow about yeah. to die one. All of these things, if you just take them, apply them to bass drums, you're like, oh, I know that song. I know that genre. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so for me, it's all, it's always been, I just call it metal, right? And, and that means mm. everything. And I like most of it. Like the only genre of metal that I personally don't listen to at all really is new metal. Mm-hmm. But outside of new metal, pretty much everything else I have at least a little bit of space for. But yeah. now I think, see, back back when I came up, because it because there was no internet, or it just started when I like you know yeah. when I was in my teens, it was still from the tradition of this is what New York metal sounds like, and they only know each other. This is what Midwestern metal yeah. sounds like in California, and they only know each other. And then when they meet each other and play on the same show, there's this kind of culture clash that happens whereas now everybody listens to everything on their devices and your playlist just has the songs you like so Mm -hmm. if the songs you like are kill switch and then you know pantera and then lorna shore and then white chapel and then you know what i'm saying and on and on yeah to you you're just vibing and that didn't really Mm -hmm. happen before we came from the culture it was like how my dad listened to music you'd put on one album and you'd listen to the whole Mm -hmm. thing all the way through so the bands had more of like a presence, even in like the listening yeah. habits. Whereas now, it's a, it, you know everybody every band gets like one or two songs on your playlist, and then you keep it moving <laughs> for most people. Yeah. No. Yeah. I you know I'm I'm definitely the same generation there. Like, um, I was I you know my my older brother is really into compute. He's an IT guy, and he was really into computers at the time, and the company he's working for. So he got us into CD burning pretty fast yeah after it came out so like but i know i I remember the days like you 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 were looking for a band you want you have to go to the record store right hope hope that their cd is the one that's on the the headphones you can listen to to see if you like more than that one song you like to see if it's worth spending the 12.99 19.99 whatever it was at the time (laughs) to get the cd because i can't tell you how many times i've bought a cd or, or you know, you did what I did in the beginning. Yeah, you play the Columbia House mail order game, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and you you scam them. You end up. <laughs> I think I ended up having like over a hundred CDs. I only paid for like one full price. Yeah, <laughs> the rest were a cent. <laughs> um, but you know, but yeah, that's that's what you, had. you you had what you had, and you just had what was around you. Now you can listen to everything anywhere, anytime you want, and I, I do think that's a huge fact like as awesome as that is it's also gives all of it gives everybody so much option paralysis when you're trying to like find something and you know i've said it before and i'll keep saying it you know doing this show where i'm trying to find more music to recommend to people if i didn't do that i would be stuck listening to the same things over and over same again thing. yes yeah you know i, I would have never found bands i love you know in this in, in, by doing that and you know if and I also think that's kind of like the impetus why a lot of people these days are going back to buying records and going back to buying mm-hmm. tapes and things like that. Yeah. Because, you know, we want to make the decision, I'm going to put this on to listen to this album, you know? And 
uh, that's definitely something, one of my own personal goals for 2024 is to just make a decision to put on more music and listen to it just all the way through. Don't make, you know, a Metallica playlist. Don't make a thrash playlist. Don't make a whatever playlist, you know, just pick up, pick an album, listen to it and be done. I think it's a little less about the playlists themselves as how the playlist serves our listening habits now. Rick Beato, uh, YouTuber, talked about this where he said when he came up, music was its own activity. You put on the record and you listen to Mm -hmm. it and that's what you were doing. But now music is something you listen to while you do something else. Right. So people put on music and play a video game or listen to, you know, maybe a podcast in the background while the music's turned Mm -hmm. down low or whatever they're doing. Um, but they're playing mute while they're in the shower. It's music is like the soundtrack to your life now. And mm-hmm. I think, and what's great about this podcast is what we have to make sure we do is it's okay for culture to shift and change. It happens literally all the time, right? The only thing that doesn't change is that, you know, um, everything always changes. But we have to be caretakers of the good of the past. And I think the the two things from the past that I really hope the younger generations don't miss out on. And we have a responsibility to like, try not to sound like boomers when we were to, you know, <laughs> help them out here. Deep listening is very valuable, not just to musicians, but just to human beings. Listen to take time out occasionally, just take a walk, put on music, not a podcast and really, really listen to it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, life-changing exercise. And you can tell by all of the great music that has come from that when the great music of the past has such disadvantages compared to now. I want to know how to do something on guitar, YouTube, how do I do it? And and if somebody has the best way to teach it ever, and (laughs) I can learn it, you know, and I don't think there's a single guitar technique that you can't get now in the matter of one to maximum six months. But, and when I say six months, I'm talking about the very, very hardest things in the world. I think most things yeah. go to YouTube, practice it for a month and you'll have it. Whereas back in the day, that stuff used to be magic. But the reason the music yeah. from the past was so great is because of their deep listening habits, number one, and number two, socializing around the music in a healthy way. Yeah. I learned about Def and Cynic and Mr. Bungle from a guy named Mike Turney. He was actually the guy who played Danny in the Ninja Turtles movie. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he actually is a comic book artist, uh, or he was back in the day. Oh. He tried out for Top Cow way back when and wound up working at the um, animation job that I started out in. But I knew Mike oh, okay. before that. So Mike, um, I think I met him at conventions or something, back when you had to take your portfolio and get cut up by <laughs> yeah. you know comic book artists in the portfolio line at shows. And so Mike showed me those bands, you know, uh, just hanging out and being like, check these guys, check these guys, check those guys. Don't just listen to Pantera and Dream Theater all day. And I'm like, thanks, Mike. Thanks for showing this to me. I didn't find out that stuff because it was just on a random playlist or something. And so I think preserving that element of it will help people avoid the pitfalls of short attention span style songs, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, which, you know, the whole, you know, TikTok thing where you know yeah. it, it's everything is built around that and my, my wife and I are actually talking about this the other day where you know 
she would hear, you know, well, we're older. So I, I see all my, t I, I see all the, f the popular TikToks on Instagram and she sees them on YouTube a week later because <laughs> 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 we don't, we, we, don't yeah. we don't have TikTok, but, yeah, but you know, she's like, I'll hear a clip of a song. I'm like, Oh, that, that sounds like a good song. And I'll go look, listen to the whole song. It's like, well, this is kind of it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big problem. Actually. A lot of people are, you know, you know, trying to rally against like this writing songs for TikTok thing. But to go back to what you're saying, you know, music of the old days and stuff like that, I, I think what's missing is our feeling of having discovered something, a feeling of having, of searching for something and having that discovery, you know, and it kind of ties in the comics as well, because back, back in our day, <laughs> if you wanted to know what, what the hell happened 10 issues prior, or you saw that little editor's note blurb box on a comic book you were reading, you know, you had to find issue 146 to see why J. Jonah Jameson's in space fighting right. a Martian or something, you know, like you need to, like you, you, and you would want to go find that issue, dig, you know, and have that sense of discovery and have that kind of, um, uh, I guess that, that general dopamine hint hit mm -hmm. of like reward for yeah. And that's, I'm not saying that in a bad way at all either, because, um, the instant gratification thing, which, you know, is a huge problem in our society to begin with, you know, and I, we're all guilty of it. Um, but there's, there is that, like you said, with the YouTube, you want to learn something on guitar. You know, I, I have long been trying to like get better at guitar for the past few years. And I make these play, I make this super long save playlist on YouTube. Like I'm going to go do these techniques, I'm going to do this practicing, but what ends up happening is I just, I just end up ignoring that. And then when I'm writing something or I'm trying to finish something, you know, and I'm like, Oh, oh I want, I really want a part like this. I just look up how to do that part. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that technique? I, and then, and then I just really try to nail it down for a little bit and then I'm done, you know, yeah. but, and then, but you know, it's also like easy in, easy out. <laughs> yeah. So then when I try to come back to it, it's not there. I, I didn't do the work to discover it and, and have it ingrained in me and all these things and sitting and listening to music and giving music that time. That is definitely something, you know, that this generation, I think, you know, I, I see a lot of people wanting to do that or, you know, younger kids, younger people like really investing in the records or having, you know, nice audio setups and getting, you know, all these mm -hmm. basically making, making it a point that music is important, even if you are doing something else, but just having music playing and not, it being the audio thing you're engaging with is, you know, already something that's like, uh, uh, you know, a few steps in the right direction than where we are now, because like you said, you know, there's been plenty of times where like I'll have music on or something and then the TV's on or something or a YouTube thing is playing and it's just like, you know, there's just too much, you know, and we're, we're just, we're just overstimulated, oversaturated yes. and everything's just available too easily for us. And, you know, or if you're a uh, oh, prime example is I was listening to an, uh, an album the other day and I'm like, wow, this part kind of sounds like that one band. So instead of finishing the song and all that, you I stopped stop. what I was doing right. and I looked up that one band just to make sure that's what that sounds like that. Right. And you know, it was you know, close enough, but it was like, why did I need to do that? I didn't need to do that. You know, obviously, well, my this, brain's wired a certain way. That well, well no, that, you're like, right, though. That okay. instinct is, is the discovery instinct, but it's not yeah. trained for the internet age. 
We're not trained yeah. to have all of the questions that the mind can think up at a whim, answer yeah. at a whim. That we're not trained to filter it, right? No. So the answer is honestly, it's just deep work, right? It's just deep yeah. listening. If you're drawing, deep drawing. If you're reading, deep reading. Don't read with a TV on in the background and that kind of stuff because the, the danger of that is it's whittling down your ability to focus, your ability to – your attention span. It's chopping away at it yeah. by getting you in these short loops, really these kind of TikTok-style loops of attention. And that's, that's actually a genuine danger. It's not that that stuff is inherently bad, but what it is, it's inherently bad to get stuck in that loop. Right. Yeah. And once you lose power over it and we all have like collectively, I'm not saying this from yeah. the mountaintop of Mr. Perfect Focus, I assure you. But specifically, say, when it comes to guitar, I was able to avoid the pitfall because in guitar, I worked with Al Joseph a little bit. Al Joseph is a YouTube guitar player. Highly recommend him. Uh, if you want to take lessons from somebody, uh, especially if you're a metal player, I recommend Al. And basically the method that Al teaches requires a level of deep work you can once you know what you're doing put on he even suggests this put on a movie put on anime and just get through the reps or something but mm -hmm. before you do that there's a step in there that kind of adds a security measure that you're not doing it the wrong way and the wrong way really to do anything is to not be fully engaged because when you're not yeah. fully engaged, you're not absorbing all of the information that you could absorb. Like a lot of times when we absorb information, we only think of what we consciously absorb. But your subconscious is so ridiculously powerful and it helps mm -hmm. you. It, and another uh, guitar teacher, Tom Hess, like what he teaches is basically you don't have to practice for hours and hours and hours. What you have to do is you have to allow your subconscious to work for you, right? So practice in these short bursts, but in between the short bursts, your subconscious will will take what you did and go, okay, let me download that and put that into my programming. And then when you go back to like the fifth, tenth time doing it, even though if you timed yourself, you only actually practiced yeah. for like 20 minutes. But because that 20 minutes was broken up into one to three minute bursts of full focus, and then subconscious work on top of it, you actually get a lot of progress done. And so I think yeah. that's the thing. And this is and going back to the music listening. It's the same thing. It's not that you can never listen to music in the shower or while playing video games or doing something else. Also do that. It's not that you can never be on TikTok. Also do that. But at the same time, if you want to watch a three hour long movie and you can't watch that movie without feeling like you have to check your phone. Now you have some, you know repair work to do yeah yeah 100 percent. and you know like like you said like the the focus practice like that again is you know it's one one of my musicals of this year is having just just telling myself like 20 minutes and i have all these you know things lined up and i'm going to be starting it next week where it's just like a couple times a week just just hard focus just hard focus yeah. on that and just move on that and and, and so yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. It's just, you know, again, I'm far <laughs> from perfect on uh, on, you know, getting down the rabbit holes or having the you know the the distractions or using music as the distraction. Um, but yeah, it, it's just something like you know, listening to music is great when you're doing stuff. 
Of course, of course it is. But you, but you know, I think you know, as you're trying to say, is we want to have a. We want to give music a, a chance to have a deeper experience with us and give it a, a space of its own. Especially Again, if you're writing you music. Because the stuff yeah, that you yeah. write is really what you emotionally reacted to when you were listening. Yeah. You know, kind of chopped up and reconfigured through your personality filter. But if you never deeply react emotionally to music, you're going to have a, a more um, empty library of stuff, mm -hmm. of material to work from. But yeah. when it comes to the practicing, let me tell you, dude, I did that. So for, I don't know, maybe 20 years, I played guitar roughly the same way I did from about year five of playing guitar. So my first year playing guitar was like anybody else's, tried to learn some songs from really terrible tablature, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. The difference <laughs> was I absolutely fell in love with guitar and went maniacal from about month number maybe three to month number 18 and that's when i joined locked in a vacancy was around that time and basically i took on the athletic challenge of playing master of puppets and wanted to play it perfectly i wanted to play it super duper tight especially the rhythm part because it was such an endurance yeah. test right especially oh, yeah. if you've <laughs> never played anything like that before so my down picking got really really tight right so even though I didn't know anything about guitar, I be, the only thing I knew was the E minor scale. I couldn't have told you how to build a chord. Uh, I couldn't play <laughs> Kumbaya. I literally could only play metal songs and Locked in a Vacancy songs, right? Couldn't play Guns yeah. and Roses or anything like that. No blues, no nothing. <laughs> so being in Locked in a Vacancy and writing songs, I got to an advanced level of that. And my ear developed because I didn't have an ear. But once my ear developed, I was exactly the same way for like, I would say from the year 2001 to the year 2018, maybe. And in 2018, I got the curiosity to learn music theory because I'm drawing a lot of comics and I have YouTube playing in the background. And I get, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, I'll just throw in some music theory stuff. I'll, I'll, maybe, you know, maybe I'll pick something up. And then a certain question hit me. It was one question. It was, how do you find the chords in a scale? Because I'm tired of being terrible at chords, right? Because I wasn't good at chord progressions at all. But, and when I say not good, I couldn't do them. I could come up with something by ear, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I found you know, a, a video that described that, but there was one, it was, a, I think, a Ben Eller video where he broke it down. Oh, Ben, um, that's great. Yeah. Uh, although... I, I think that particular video, there's a better way to do that, that I won't get mm -hmm. into right now, but maybe I'll tell you okay. after the podcast, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but it did help me. It was the beginning. And so there was one chord where he said, we'll address this later. And it was the diminished chord, right? So it was basically, if you're in the major scale, it's a, you know, major, minor, minor, major, major, diminished. And I was like, well, what is that? What's a diminished chord? And then, you know, I found out what that was. And um, I played it. And I was like, well, what's the purpose of that? Like, I, that was the main thing for me. Is like, what's the purpose of this nasty sounding chord? And I found out the purpose of the diminished chord. Well, not the purpose of it, but the way you can use it is to resolve it. Right? Yeah. And so I was like, resolution. That's interesting. Okay. Tension, resolution. Ooh, this is starting to make sense with, like, what I know about storytelling. Right? And, and comic mm -hmm. book stuff. Tension, resolution. That's basically the whole game. So that was the bug in my ear that drove me to be like, 
okay, I got the concept of music theory now. It's basically tension resolution and understanding intervals. Not a great summary, but good enough, right? So then I was like, okay, now that I know this, I need a way to practice this so that I can like get good at all the stuff I can't do. That's when I took the lesson from Al Joseph. I really only took one lesson from Al, but it was such a good lesson. <laughs> but the but what he does is he he does something called the um the cycling method. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, it sounds familiar. Okay. Long story short, the way a lot of people teach you to get faster is to uh, practice slowly and then build up. There's a lot of reasons this isn't the greatest thing. It's not a terrible practice, but it has many, many deep flaws and it's very much something from the past. The cycling method is you put on a drum beat, whatever, the speed doesn't matter, right? But let's just say for the sake of conversation, 100 beats per minute, right? Like a good mid-tempo metal song drum beat. So you practice whatever you're practicing. It doesn't matter what. It could be a chord progression. It could be a scale fragment, whatever it is, arpeggio. They're all going to yeah. fall into this practice style, right? But you start it at um, quarter notes, then you go to triplets, then you go to eighth notes, then you go to eighth note triplets, then you go to 16th notes, 16th note triplets, and if you can, 30-second notes, right? And then you go back down. And you do it basically, You, I mean, it doesn't matter how long you do it, but two measures of piece is recommended. So two measures quarter notes, two measures triplets, blah, 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 blah. And you go all the way up and go back down. So, and this, there's a point to this. So besides just a guitar lesson, mm -hmm. the thing was it made everything, it makes everything you play musical because mm. you, you stop thinking in terms of fast and slow and you start yeah. thinking in terms of subdivisions. But then a tricky thing happens because not only are you working on speed and, and skill and form, but you can change little things at the lower speeds that you, that you could also change at the higher speeds, but it's different. You can change emphasis. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So instead of like, you can go, and it changed. And the thing is now you're actually interacting with it. You're not just turning your robot hand on, turning the robot metronome on and going back and forth until you hit a, a arbitrary number that makes you feel good about being fast. You're always being a musician. And that concept of always being a musician, no matter what you're playing, no matter what speed you're playing, no matter what scale, chord, style of music, that made guitar conscious for me. And that got me out of the trap of picking up the guitar and feeling like my fingers always wanted to play the same thing. Then I felt like I switched over from really having an amateurish sound when I picked up the guitar, even though I could record professionally, I felt like an amateur if I was just messing around to being more mm -hmm. like the guys you see in like gear demo videos, where they just seem like they're making yeah. up music the entire time. That was mm -hmm. what switched me over, but it goes to the same concept of being present and doing deep work and deeply interacting with what you're what you're working on, not just autopiloting everything of uh, you know unconsciously. Yeah, that you know, I'm gonna have to definitely look into that because I kind of feel like I'm where you were at in 2018, and that I'm ready to put in some deep work into getting better. I was recently listening to some songs I recorded around around 2020, 2019, and um, 
there's like I was like doing some solo stuff and stuff like you know actual solos and I'm like wait I played that because I feel yeah. like I couldn't play that now and like, right and you know I, I obviously if I think about it, I'm like well yeah back then I was definitely you know uh playing a lot more guitar back then you know I've only been really been playing my guitar you know playing guitar guitar for like I've had one for a very long time but I didn't really like start digging into it until probably 2014 mm-hmm. end of 2014 2015 um and that's when I really kind of like because I was primarily you know a I still kind of mentally feel like I'm a bass player because <laughs> that's where I started. That's where I go, you know, and, um, but you know, th- the funny thing is, I was like, you know, I was never wanting, you know, in terms of bass, I never wanted to be Cliff Burton. You know, I wanted to be Jason Newstead. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to be the guy who was just beating the hell out of the thing. You know, I wanted to be Doug Pinnock, you know, I didn't want to be yeah. shredding on the thing. Like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, you know, insert, you know, virtuoso bass player that, I know all their names. I can't think James Lomenzo. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to be fucking James Lomenzo, you know, keeping up with Zach Wilde shredding on his base, you know? Yeah. Um, but I wanted to be the dude, you know, laying the groove and doing, you know, and just sounding heavy as shit. So when it came to guitar, like that's kind of where I started at. Like I just wanted to make the heavy riff, the heavy thing. Yeah. And then, you know, thanks to technology, super easy to like write things now and you know i have easy drummer three with these amazing sounding drum samples and mm-hmm. you know i have all these you know midi grooves that i can just like pop on and then if i write a riff to it or something like that i can easily go and change it to make it you know sound more like you know something different as opposed to like a stock drum beat and it's just super easy to do all that stuff yeah so you know i really got into doing all that and then somewhere along the line you know i got pretty good at guitar and then yeah, I got busy with comics <laughs> and then guitar kind of took a backseat and I'm trying to like balance and find my balance now. So uh, the cycling thing you mentioned, that's definitely sounds definitely in line with the way I think and the way I learn yeah. because I learn by doing not by rote practice. Right. And you know? so going with that, um, so my practice when I'm practicing normally um, and right now I'm not practicing as normally because I have a minor finger uh, inflammation that I'm waiting for it to go away. So I don't make it worse and can't play a show or something. But normally it's uh, now this might sound like a lot to some people, but it's basically a 45 minute minimum. Mm -hmm. Now you don't have to do a 45 minute minimum. There's a reason I do a 45 minute minimum. And it's because if I do 45 minutes, that's 15 minutes of legato, 15 minutes of alternate picking and 15 minutes of arpeggio work. And because I'm in a metal band, I have to stay athletic. So this ensures that the songs are easy for me to play on stage because you never ever want what you're doing on stage to be the limit of what you can do. You want to always be a good step ahead. You want to be five to 10 BPM ahead of what you're playing at all times, right? Uh, So you can adjust. So when the drummer speeds up, you can keep up with him (laughs) (laughs) without without your hand crapping up or something, uh, which should never happen anyway. But that ensures that I get all the work in. And really, the arpeggio work with the cycling method isn't the same thing as just going up and down with sweeps. Because what you mm-hmm. do is you're actually learning music theory when you do that. I mean, you can do this with the alternate picking and the legato work as yeah. well. Once you're simultaneously learning music theory and athletic playing, you're never just an empty-headed shredder. Yeah. You're always improving your knowledge of, okay, this is the, you know, if you're in a minor scale, 
this is the five, the six, and the seven. Okay, cool. That's what this fragment is. And then you make a little chord recording and you do those same practices on top of the chord recording, not even disrupt, not even adding minutes to what you're doing, but now you're going, okay, this is what that interval sounds like on top of that. And because you're doing the cycling method and playing slow, you understand it melodically with like slower passages, but you also understand what it's like when you go over it quickly and it's more mm -hmm. of a passing note, right? Because if you play it slowly, yeah. it's a melodic note. If you play it very quickly, it's just a passing note and has a different effect. And yeah. that, that, so for me, that's why it's a 45 minute minimum. But I have had times where I had to reduce that to five minutes a piece and it's 15 mm -hmm. minutes of work same thing, legato, alternate picking, and uh, arpeggio work. And it's still just as effective. It's just less actual work. You know what I mean? That's, that's really yeah. all it is. Yeah. It's just less actual work. But I still I, highly recommend it, even at that little bit. I would say 15 minutes, though, is the perfect amount of time. And if you wanted to go an extra five minutes, just do a quick five-minute improv over the same chord progression for like a week. And you'll see that your knowledge of that chord progression and your ability to interact with it becomes much more musical and in really where it's supposed to be, which is in touch with your emotions, not in touch with your fingers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, you know, it's, I think the, the term people like to use is like phrasing. Like it's the, mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of learning how to do that. And, you know, looking back, that's kind of like how I, you know, whenever I was constructing like a solo or something, that's very much how I would do it. Like I would, I would just try to like, you know, I would start, I would slow the track down. I would like, what's the melody I want here? And how do I, so, and part of me wanting to just get better and no, and no more, no, just a bit more theory at the very least is just so it doesn't take me so damn long to figure. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about theory, right? Like I'm almost mad at all of the people who described music theory to me coming up because they always described it as like the set of rules that the cool, smart kids know. And, you know, and then the people who hated music theory are all like, oh, but then you lose your feel. And none of that, it has nothing to do with anything. It's like being an artist and learning how light works or learning how colors, actually the closest is color theory, learning how yeah. color interacts. It doesn't really change what you emotionally want to do. It just changes how much you know about it. So that something mm -hmm. that you go, and, and there's still even moments of music theory where you can go, oh, I'm feeling something and it doesn't make sense. I'm not analyzing it. But after you do it, you can go, oh, the reason that works is because I substituted the major chord for the minor chord right here. Or, oh, the reason yeah. that works is because I did the secondary dominant, if you know that much about music theory, which I don't even think is necessary to like know that much. I think yeah. you just need to know how intervals work and how to build a chord and you're off to the races. Everything else is just words basically. But mm -hmm. knowing how those interactions associate with your emotion, that's the point of music theory. And that's what does the most important thing for me, which is it takes the question marks off of the fretboard and out of the songs. So instead of you saying, oh, I like when that band does those kinds of parts, you're thinking, I love the way those guys use seconds in their chord yeah. progressions. I love the way those guys apply suspended chords. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I love the way Opeth uses the blues chord or the, and again, I don't think you need to know all of these terms, but if you're like, oh, I recognize that that's the Hungarian minor. You don't need to know yeah. that, but you can say, 
what is that? Okay, like if you know how to build a chord, you can go, okay, so this is a um, harmonic minor scale with a, with the second moved over here or with the, you know, the, the seventh moved over here. And then you look online and there'll be some name for it. And you go, okay, cool. Now I know what other people call it. But music theory-wise, you already knew which notes yeah. were being shifted to create that sound, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you made the you made the comparison to the coloring, and you know, immediately my my thought was like it, it reminds me of learning perspective in comics, mm-hmm. because if you stay rigid to a perspective grid, nine times out of ten, you know, whatever background, whatever you're drawing, it's gonna be pretty. It's gonna seem pretty stale and flat, you know. Um, there's certainly people who can be very, you know. Uh, uh, locked into the grid and make it seem lively and stuff like that. But for, you know, most artists, it's about learning. Okay. Here's your perspective grid. Now you got to make through everything by not being so, uh, you know, uh, sl- slavish to the, to the lines, to the grid, you give it life. You know, you, you kind of, you, 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 you twist this thing here. You move this thing here. Like, you know, if, if you're drawing a, a like I'm, I was, it's on my mind a lot too because I've been I've been laying out my next issue, yeah. and I and I uh, busted out uh, some perspective grids for a couple establishing shots, and I'm like, you know, I I roughed in the the basically the corners of the room and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, now there's a rug, and you know, maybe shift the rug a little bit. You know, there's a dresser here. You know, don't have it just you know have it shifted slightly, or you know, just having giving things life. And that's like with music, like you can have the theory. But if you're so stuck on like, this has to go into this, has to go into this, has to go into this, because they say those are the rules, then you're 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 left with the, you know, the 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 type of people who, you know, there's there's definitely people who love that kind of stuff. That's their bread and well, butter. They love that. They love the the um the uh, the exactness of the so, theory and stuff like that. Similar to the point you're making, right? I think this is the misconception that people have about principles. Principles are not rules. And theory is not rules. It's just telling you what's happening. It's not telling you whether or not you should do it. And that's the big Mm -hmm. mistake people make. They'll go, and even people who are great at music theory will go, I don't know if this makes sense. There's actually no such thing as not making sense. There's an explanation for it, no matter how it sounds, no matter how crazy or weird it sounds, music theory will just tell you what it is. That's all it's doing. Same thing with like perspective. The most most problems that artists have with perspective when they have the rigid lines issue is that they don't take into account that our eyes are lenses. So there's Mm -hmm. distortion and we don't see at 100 million frames per second. So we don't see Mm -hmm. everything as completely still frame by frame. If I was to swipe my hand back and forth, it turns into a blur. It turns into bending, right? And even physics doesn't work that way. You see those slow-mo yeah. things of them hitting the golf ball and it squishes up. So yeah. you're not actually representing perspective the way humans experience it if you 100% stick to a grid. Because the way we experience it in mediums is in film, it's with different focal lengths. And these different lenses create different levels of distortion or flattening or focus. So if you try to draw everything in perfect perspective and in perfect focus, you're drawing without thinking of lenses. And so 
so okay so now what if you do think of lenses right okay what lens should you use that's up to Mm -hmm. you right and it's the same thing with music theory it's like just replace all of those words with things like chords and and scales or whatever so okay so this is the key you're in you're at this part of the song which chord should you use the person who doesn't understand music theory is going to point to the chord that comes next in the song but someone who really understands music theory and the point of music theory then say no play whatever chords you hear play what your heart says and afterwards music theory will tell you if that chord is diatonic to that key if it's borrowed from the you know the minor key or or if it's completely outside the key but it you know it works for the reason it's probably working for you is because of what would normally be there is here and you're creating these tensions and you're resolving it over here it could be a million reasons why that thing that's quote unquote not supposed to work works but nothing's supposed to work everything that's supposed to work will eventually be generic and boring you know what's supposed to work is that you feel something and you express it there just happens to be a system of interaction and theory and terms that describes it that if you learn that system instead of having to wait for inspiration to hit for you to do something special if you know how you feel you can say, here's the theory that most relates to how I feel, and I can start there, as opposed to yeah. staring at a blank page or a blank sound file and going, I don't want to create something generic, but I don't know what I want to do. I guess I'll not create anything. <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> with, with music theory or the same thing with art, you can say, if you're doing the perspective example, like you said, oh, I'll try this with a wide angle feel. Oh, I'll try it with a telephoto yeah. feel. Oh, I'll try it say if i'm using special effects where the background is wide angle but the character is in more of a telephoto you know what i'm saying like in, in a shorter lens mm-hmm. so and and say you're you know rob liefeld and you're just you know flying by the seat of your pants somebody else who understands those <laughs> things can come along and go well the reason this works here and not over here is because here he instinctively did something that works and then here he was going for the same thing but since he didn't know and I don't want to pick on Rob, but anybody really. No. Since he didn't know what he was I, doing, yeah, it didn't work as well over here. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 spot on. And yeah, not picking on Rob. He's he's just you know one popular enough for everyone to know what you're talking about. Because there's definitely stuff he's done in the past where it's like that's actually really cool and really and you know probably you know was something a lot of other artists were like, oh, I'm going to do my version of this or that. And there's other things where uh, so on and so forth. Like one of the, uh, you know, not to go off too much of a tangent, but like there's that legendary issue of X-Force that Mike Mignola, you know, went off his layouts. And, you know, I love Mike Mignola's work, but, you know, if Mike Mignola had done that from start to finish, I don't think that issue would have been as good. Yeah. He, he he you know the funniest thing was uh, i just read the article the other day someone someone shared it where um mike told rob like i don't i don't do i don't do top down shots or whatever so you could see in the layouts whenever rob had like the top down shot or whatever he would just make it yeah <laughs> a mid yeah. shot or something but it it worked because it was mike Mignola. but there's enough of that just the fly by the sea of the pants that that lifeville does that you know because to me mike Mignola, legend amazing but everything he does to me seems very measured. It seems very like he's thought this through. Everything has a point. Right. So having that kind of mixture there, right, uh, really works. But that's 
tangent off. It's it's a great tangent though, right? Because if you look at it, Mike and Rob come from a different emotional place. And they're looking to give a different emotional experience. And even though because Mike is more measured, he's going to have more successes. But according to Mm -hmm. even his own standard, he doesn't always have the same level of success. It just so happens that you can say, well, according to these storytelling rules, he has more success because he never gets to a place of it not working. Right. Whereas with Rob, because he's less measured and is less aware of the quote unquote rules, he's going to have less success in terms of it falling apart. But even him, he's he's never going to have the same amount of success according to his own rules. None mm-hmm. of us are, you know, so yeah. that's not really a standard anybody should aspire to. Like some days you're going to I don't want to say some days you're going to have it. Some days you're going to not. You get good enough. Everything's going to at least be solid. But yeah. that's not the measure of how, quote unquote, good you are or how successful you are. What it is, is does that represent the feelings you were trying to convey? Did that, did that tell the story you were trying to tell? Yeah. Because someone coming along and again, making the same musical comparison, someone coming along and making it more correct. They've literally done tests on that where they take some old record that was like recorded mm-hmm. in some janky way or by a sloppy guitarist and they bring in like a better guitarist to play it better. And it's worse because yeah. sloppiness is a part of the human experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you now listen, if you can't help but be sloppy, maybe work more. But yeah. <laughs> if the the thing that you're making, and this was what was so great about x-force and deadpool and new mutants and all of the stuff rob did in the early going that was in the spirit of what he was trying to do that's not better if and you know i've worked with mark silvestri for years that's not better if mark does it you know and from a draftsmanship standpoint mark and and rob are in two completely different categories in terms of ability but in terms of emotional feel I don't know if anybody could have ever done X-Force and New Mutants better than what Rob did because he was just really in touch with what he was trying to do at that time. The same way Joe Matarira was in like early Battle Chasers and, you know, like these kind of classic books where like especially early Hellboy and I think Conqueror Worm Hellboy, like Mm -hmm. Mike was just on his stuff on that. You know what I mean? Like he was just there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certain Jason Pearson body bag stuff. He like he's just locked in. You know, and what's the common denominator? Yeah. It's being locked in, you know, being locked into yeah. those emotions and and, and translating yeah. that. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, how much of it is also feeling like you got something to prove. Like you have that. That varies. You have, that varies. You have that kind of like feeling behind it because, um, you know, you mentioned Mark Silvestri and, you know, I, I can't recall a single interview with any of the other image guys that, they didn't all like agree that no Mark's the best of us. <laughs> like yeah, like yeah. hands down the draft he's the best. And I I'm I tend to he Mark's my guy. That that was my mm-hmm. guy for the image stuff and all that. And I'm just kind of thinking about like um when, you know, he came out with Cyberforce and all that and Codename Strike Force and all that. And then, you know, he just like changed up his style. Like at that point in his career, just like I'm going to get scratch here. I'm going to get, you know, and then the darkness came out and, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of been in that, in that mode for a long, for ever since then. And just kind of like, I feel like that was kind of him 
trying to not trying to him deciding like you know and this is me speculating wildly obviously because there's been a lot of you know i've done more than my fair share of watching image documentaries you know that was my time you know coming up and you know, reading comics that he was kind of you know it sounded like he was he was kind of done with comics at that point but then the image guy said hey you want to do this and he's like i guess okay <laughs> you know like i'm i'm I was on X-Men, now I'm on Wolverine, and that's fine, but, like, what else am I going to do at this point? So I kind of feel like, you know, with the darkness, him shifting it up was kind of um, him, you know, kind of rediscovering, like, oh, no, wait, I still got, like, you know, something to really say here and something to, like, do with my art. That, so, you know, not, not, because I love the Cyberforce stuff, don't get me wrong at all, but, like, I feel like that, because that was just such, not a drastic shift in his art, but it definitely felt like, like he had a he had a purpose so i'll say about all shift. of the image stuff it's very hard to judge it from the outside because yeah. keep in mind those guys were all kind of together and mm -hmm. everybody i can't overly snitch here but everybody <laughs> didn't a hundred percent do everything i don't think at any phase right so mm -hmm. Nothing was 100% Jim Lee and Scott Williams or 100% Mark yeah. Silvestri and Scott Williams. Like there were other, there's a whole studio and different things oh, yeah. changing yeah. hands at different times. And keep in mind, they made so much money at that time that they were doing other things besides drawing comics, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so from the outside in, I think it's difficult to look at the finished product and say this person was doing this and doing that uh, because the, the process matters, right? And the process of him drawing Wolverine was him being at home and throwing pages into a FedEx box and sending it to Marvel. Mm -hmm. And the process of him drawing Cyberforce was him being in California with like several other of the image guys, um, you know, getting books out while making a whole lot of money. And it's just a completely different yeah. thing. But I can speak a little bit to Mark's mentality when it comes to his work. And the thing that most people don't know about Mark is that Mark is a designer through and through when i say he's a designer through and through i mean that from a technical standpoint he doesn't mm -hmm. draw the images you see he sculpts them and he starts mm -hmm. from a scribble and he shapes the scribble and he erases and he moves things around so if you see black and whites of mark silvestri the individual little scratchiness that you see that anchors always come and they do their best, but it's just not the same. Yeah. Um, it's all perfectly placed to move mm -hmm. the eye, to move the emotions around the piece. And very, I hate even saying this because when I wasn't there, it sounded like nonsense to me, but having seen it happen and actually learn, learning a version of that for myself, it changed, transformed my approach to art totally, seeing him and specifically my brother, Mike Broussard, um, who I didn't understand what the hell Mark was doing when I saw him doing it. I was like, what is even going on? I don't know how to learn from this. We're just too different. <laughs> then I saw Mike do it and I was like, oh, I get it. And that made me study it. And honestly, it's probably my favorite part of drawing, which is why I can understand how Mark fell in love with it. So what Mark fell in love with is not necessarily the kind of thing that translates as well to a sequential comic but at the same time mark's skill set at doing a sequential comic 
is as high as it gets. You know, and mind yeah, you, I'm I mean, really close with Brian Stelfreeze and, and, and like really great artists. I'm telling you, I literally watched Mark lay out four pages at midnight after a session of like Halo and Domino's Pizza. And the storytelling, <laughs> when I tell you it wasn't just good, I mean, the design of it was great. The use of silhouettes was crazy. The shapes that he threw down, mm-hmm. but it all told the story. To get all of that stuff working at the same time takes most people like days of laying stuff out to have all of those yeah. layers. And he literally threw it down and was like, okay, you guys can finish these pages now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and it was like, he can, Mark can literally, as a storyteller, go through an entire issue and give you a perfectly told comic book. Like, you know, super duper quick. His brain just sees shit like that. But what he's in love with is designing. That's how he builds stuff from the bottom to the top. And honestly, I think if anybody could like track down Mark's work and think about it with the perspective that I've just spoken about and find as much pencil and black and white stuff as you can and don't look at it as a drawing. Think of it as lines placed and arranged in an, in an order and in a design and really study him according to that, it'll be one of the greatest art lessons you can possibly have. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for them to do an artist edition of something of his. Yeah. Because like that's like one of like the two or three artist edition things I would actually like, okay, I need to get this thing because, you know, everything you're saying is everything. I'm like, you know, yeah, obviously I, uh, it makes complete sense to me just because, you know, he... Uh, again, he was my guy. I, he was, he was all, yeah. you know, I'm always excited to see his work even to this day. <laughs> you know, I'm excited yeah. to see when he does stuff and, you know, whether, you know, I'm not, you know, naive to the fact that, you know, back in the day they're busy and you have your stable of guys and your stable of guys learn by finishing your stuff off. Like, you know, that, that's just, it's natural. It's fine, but there's still the, the spirit and the essence of it there. And, you know, hearing how you're talking about how he lays things out, like, you know, that's the spirit of your comic, right? Is your layouts. Let's talk to any artist, you know, we're always trying to match the vibe of our layouts. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we get it and it's great. And sometimes we don't. And we're like, man, it was so much better in the layouts when it was like four scribbles on a, but you knew what it was. You knew, you knew the, the energy of it. And it's just something mm-hmm. with the, that and it sounds like you know the sculpting technique and stuff like that kind of uh increases your success rate with that (laughs) it very much it literally does uh and it's because basically you work outside in and in negative shapes you're so much more so so okay and i'm not saying mark has this weakness but his process does not necessarily account for perspective figure drawing and anatomy right Mm mm-hmm he knows these things, but it's not necessarily a part of his process. So, and he doesn't know them the way someone who's like a true technician knows those things. So, if you were if you're a true technician and you do a layout and you say, okay, this person is let's just say uh, loading uh, loading a gun, or no, let's say it's two people, he's t- tossing a gun clip to another person, right? Mm-hmm. that gesture that you first come up with now has to be pulled back into human anatomy 
right? It has to be pulled back into perspective. It has to be pulled back into proportion. When And, and the thing is, when you lay it out, your layout brain is kind of separate from your technical brain. This is like 90% of the comic book industry, right? Their layout brain yeah. and their construction brain are in two different places. Mm-hmm. But Mark, his process puts his layout brain and his technical brain in the same relative place. And that's why. So even though he'll have that gesture going in the layout, it won't be as far because he'll refine the parts of it that artists never refine until the end. He refines it Mm -hmm. in the beginning, right? So most artists will check their negative space after the drawing's done, after it's correct. He checks it on the way to the idea. (laughs) So if you have, so, so even if something's off, quote unquote, it's off within the emotional, okay, you're expressing yourself spectrum. It's not off mm-hmm. in the dude, you got to redraw that leg spectrum. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and it, that, you know, that makes total sense, you know, w- with his work, you know, uh, especially with his silhouette stuff, because I always thought he had like the best silhouettes. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's really awesome getting to, uh, I wanted to ask you about all this kind of stuff last time we spoke, but I'm like, you know, this first time talking to Nelson, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> tell me about your boss, your old boss. <laughs> um, but no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really appreciating the inside of it. The, 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 you know, the, the, you know, 10, 12 year old inside of me is just like, fuck yeah, yeah Mark Silvestri. Um, but yeah, it, it, that, that's really awesome to hear. Um, we've been, we've been chatting for a good bit. Uh, and I don't want to like go any further without mentioning, you know, locked in the vacancies EP. Yes. You guys have a video coming out. We do. Uh, I'm not sure the exact drop date of the video, but this, neither uh, am I. <laughs> Let me check Instagram, <laughs> see if we posted um, anything. I, I'm gonna try to get this out uh, early, uh, early next week. If not, definitely by next Friday. By Friday, so it should the, be out the eighth. <laughs> but um, if you if you haven't, uh, if, if the video is out, there will be a link in the show notes, of course. Um, and if it isn't out, and I know the date, I'll make sure I have that listed. But you know, you, you guys, you came back, you, you recorded an EP and as any longtime listeners of the show know, if someone's plays guitar has anything to do with music or whatever, I got to ask you, what kind of gear are you working with here? Yes. Okay. So my guitar is the, my primary guitar is the, um, KM2 Schecter, the Keith Marrow two seven string okay. Schecter, the seven yeah. string. So I, when I started using the seven string permanently, I actually wasn't even, I was still a six string player, right? And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I learned more music theory that I got better at the seven string, like from, from learning like how to use it and how it applies. But what happened was yeah. I was actually using a Chapman, um, okay. Chapman Pro, uh, ML1 Pro, I believe. Okay. And I have bare knuckle uh, juggernauts in there. Oh, nice. And it sounds great. Play is great. To this day, it's one of my favorite playing guitars ever in terms of like just the way it feels. It's lightning fast, but doesn't feel too thin. Just awesome guitar. Strat bass shape. And side note, I moved over to Strat shapes from PRS Gibson style shapes because during the mm-hmm. pandemic, I was always playing sitting down. And I noticed that my back started hurting. And I realized that the round, like the round butt of the guitar makes you turn mm-hmm. at like this off angle when you're oh, practicing. Okay. And when you're practicing for a long time, you get up and you're like, I just aged five years. That's not great. 
So, and then I noticed with my Strat shaped guitars, that didn't happen. And I switched over to Strat shapes from there. Um, and I, I basically haven't looked back at those shapes just because Strats are better for you sitting down. And it's funny because then I like reverse engineered it and looked at all of like the PRS demo videos and like the Gibson demo videos. And I saw that people yeah. were turned to the side. I was like, hey, nobody ever mentions that. <laughs> and, um, and it's funny. I think um, Pete from uh, uh, Pete Honori from, uh, Ch- from the Andertons. He mentioned it yeah, one yeah. time about being off to the side. I was like, oh, now you say it? Like after I fell in love yeah. with PRS, I used to bring it up. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I was in the practice space once and I think I just brought the Keith Marrow just like to switch it up. Mm-hmm. And I played a clean chord and the whole room like vibrated with this warmth. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot believe it. there's Fishman's inside it. Um, yeah, I can't believe these active Fishmans sound this much better than every guitar I've heard come in here, mine or otherwise. And from then on, mm-hmm. it was the Keith Marrow. So then I wrote um, Burden of Being, uh, which we in the band call Bob. Um, I wrote Burden of Being, which is a seven string song written partially in uh, drop G and partially in C minor. The two keys are very close. So you can get away with it. And uh, so I've been using the seven string ever since because I have to, because I can't play burden mm-hmm. of being on a six string. Uh, you yeah. need the seven string to play it. So amp wise, we tried everything, dude. We literally, so uh, Len Carmichael, our producer, he, our engineer, uh, he says, don't call him a producer, <laughs> otherwise he'll have to charge us more. So our engineer, <laughs> Len Carmichael, um, who recorded us, who recorded our EP, he um, he has this awesome custom purple Soldano that sounds oh, great. Man. He has, I think it's called a Bogner amp that we tried. Uh, mm-hmm. we tr- you know, we tried everything. So the way we recorded was we recorded DI straight into the computer. Yeah. But then he reamps. Then he reamps. Okay. So he, we tried blending amps. And at the end of the day, good old 5150 was the sound we went with. Um, the 5150, good. Yeah, I, was, I, was, yeah I, I mentioned I, I listened to the album uh, again, uh, the EP earlier today uh, to re-familiarize myself. And I'm listening and I'm trying to, you know, I was, I'm I'm terrible at picking out like amp tones and stuff like that because I don't yeah. own amps. I have amp sims. Yeah. So I have like, I literally have like four or five different 5150 amp sims. And right. I don't care what anybody says, they all sound different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they all sound, but to me, they all sound good. You know? They all sound good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm listening and I'm like, I'm like, I would swear this is a 5150. Yeah. I would swear on it, but I'm like, I don't know, man. So I, I'm, 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 so I was waiting for you to say what it was and you're going to, I was waiting for you to say it's the Soldano or something like that. Cause right. Soldanos are great. But I'm, and I'm like, oh man, if he's going to tell me it's a Soldano, I'm going to be so wrong. But so, okay. I, I'm so glad I, I'll I'm tell glad you I the sussed trick. that one out. So if you've heard the album, you know that we there's a couple of different kinds of metal sounds that we go through when you talk about yeah, the metal yeah. sounding stuff. So we have stuff with a lot of speed picking, but we also have mm-hmm. some stuff with big chords. We have some stuff with some chunkier, like mid-tempo, a little bit sludgier chords. And then we have stuff that's a little more in the death with metal route, right? Mm-hmm. The 5150 is the one amp that does all of those things really mm-hmm. well, particularly the tightness of something like church and state where it's got, you know, the, that stuff's got to be really, those sounds got to really be tight. 
But then something like, um, what do you call it, Brandolini's Law, where the chords are a little more full, it can do mm-hmm. that. And all you got to do if you want to change the sound is just switch guitars. So yeah. Um, so for Brandolini's Law, I actually used the same ESP that Doc Coyle used to use. Uh, well, the same okay. model, not the same literal guitar. Len has a oh. version of that. And my God, did I love this guitar. And it had EMGs in it. <laughs> I thought I was done with EMGs. I thought I was sick yeah. of the EMG sound, but this particular guitar, if Len sold it, I'd freaking buy it. Uh, and he actually, so I was nice. like riffing on it because we had to tune it to to drop C uh, so that it could okay. be recordable. It hadn't been in drop C. So I had to play it for a little bit to get it to wake up. Yeah. And um, he was watching me riff and Len's never heard me play before. Right. Like not in person yeah. or anything. Um, and he's like, dude, you sound like Doc, man. Like I haven't seen anybody that plays <laughs> like Doc. You play like Doc. Um, and it was it is funny because I'm nice. through that guitar. I never thought of my playing as being that close to Doc's. But through that guitar, mm-hmm. I definitely sounded like Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I could see our, our nice. similarities more through that guitar. So, yeah. I believe I recorded Brandolini with that guitar because it's more Gibson style and that gave that kind of different sound. I recorded yeah. everything else with the um, with the KM2 and mm-hmm. my other guitar player at the time, John, Mike's in the band now, uh, but John recorded on his Epiphone actually. But okay. he recorded the second guitar parts for uh, Church and State and he recorded the second guitar parts for uh, Burden of Being, as well as the solo. Well, yeah, the solo for Burden of Being. I recorded Brandolini entirely myself. Okay. Yeah, so that was well, that was what we know, used. That, that, that makes me happy to say that the, the back half of Brandolini's Law is my favorite part of the, of the EP. Thank you. Like, because you know, you know, I like the beginning, of course, but like that back half, like you really... Like, the riffing and everything, like everything, yeah. the whole vibe of it at the, at the, at the end of it, I'm like, this is, this is my shit right here. This is awesome, just man. like, I'm the, glad the, you dig just that. like, you know, the, you know, the, the, the middle sections and in, in kind of end of, um, of church and state, uh, were my thing. Again, I like the whole thing. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm sitting, I'm sitting through here waiting for the other parts to show, <laughs> no, you know, to show it, up, man. you know, like when, when's the chugging going to start, you know, um, but no, uh, but, and, and it hit me this afternoon or this evening when I was listening to it, uh, funnily enough, I'm doing dishes and I'm just like, and, yeah. and it just starts up. I'm like, I really, you know, I, I had to like, you know, I let it finish and I had, I had, I went back and made and played it again. And I'm like, damn, like, this is just like, you know, just easily, easily my favorite part of the, of the whole EP. And so I'm happy to hear that <laughs> it's all you. Oh, thanks man. I <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah. That um, song was a total team effort too, because, uh, so uh, the bulk of that song, maybe 65% of that song, uh, was written by Brian uh, Lazarus, our former guitar player. And I really wanted to use something that he wrote because he was in the band yeah. from all of 2007 up to basically 2020. I left okay. the band in 2001, right? My last show yeah. was either CBGB's with um, Poison the Well and... Um, mastodon and, and uh lamb of god or it was hellfest with uh kill switch and unearth and, and between the buried and me and those guys that was my last show one of those was my last shows uh last, so what happened was um we broke up initially because diami had uh throat nodules right 
Okay. Uh, and so he had to stop because he had sicknesses yeah. and stuff, right? Like that he had to deal with. He could literally medically couldn't sing anymore. That was why we initially broke up. And then we did a reunion thing um, in 2012 with our drummer, Rick, but then he died in a car accident. So yeah. uh, it's funny because you talked about metal sites. I see like all of these links on Lamb Goat, like covering yeah. the band's history. I didn't even know that stuff existed. I'm like, I'm in a band that <laughs> like their stories on Lamb Goat. That's so weird. But yeah, there's like, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's pages of sort of articles. <laughs> so, and not yeah. to get too scattered, but there's a point to this. So when I joined the band in 1999, I believe it was, uh, 98 or 99, my thing was, I want to write a bunch of songs. I love writing songs. Mm-hmm. And we wrote our first full length album. We did a collaboration record. I wrote two of the songs that were on the next thing and blah, blah, blah. And then Hector and Izzy, who had replaced me, they wrote the next album. Um, it's Always Darkest, right? And then from 2007 until this EP, no songs were written. You know what I mean? 17 yeah. years, I guess. No new Locked in the Vacant song. And I was just baffled. I was like, Laz has been in this band playing other people's songs all this time. Dude, we got to get you we you know we have to represent you in the band yeah at least at least and that was before i knew he was leaving but i I was like you know i thought he was gonna write the whole thing but then laz left the band but i'm glad we have a song that he primarily wrote that having been said we locked in a vacancy up so the version that you would hear you Mm -hmm. would hear some of the same riffs but it's a very different song construction and there's no second guitar Mm -hmm. parts and so i would say about 35 to 40 percent of the song the rest of the band came in and even with Len, we tightened up the end of that song. So everything you're talking about, like with the end and all of that stuff, yeah, that was huge team effort to uh, pull that all together. And I, I'm definitely happy with the result. It's my favorite version of, of the song. I always joke with Laz. I hope he didn't butcher it too bad. <laughs> well, it, it's also a great way to end the EP, you know, it, yeah. because uh, there's a there's a podcast I talk about sometimes called Thrash It Out, hosted mm-hmm. by comic writer and author Anthony Johnson and. Oh yeah, writer, no, uh, yeah. Brian Latendry. Um, and you know, the, the the whole premise of their show is like they'll each take turns picking an album, a metal album, and they both have huge varied tastes. So they've covered everything from Saint Anger to Rat to Death to, you know, I think they just I think they, uh, you know, um, just just a whole wide range of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And the thing they they come they they mention is a great closing track makes you want to hit play all over again yeah and 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 that's what that's what the end of mandolini's law does it makes me want to go man. all right let's do it again you know appreciate and that and so I, I i think the team effort uh was well worth it it, it certainly <laughs> uh certainly uh i think uh hit the mark for what you guys were going for thanks so much dude that, um, that, that makes me really happy to hear that no yeah i'm 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 always uh happy to tell people i love the thing they did because <laughs> so, uh, you know uh, what because i know i know hearing it can help when you're when you're not loving what you're doing yeah. <laughs> and you can kind of think like well you know what there's that one time you know someone told me they liked something i did and that just gets you through it but um also you know i just you know that's that's what this podcast is about i want to share things i'm enjoying i want people to share things they're enjoying and yeah. and all that and i'm very fortunate to know a lot of really talented people who make really cool stuff so mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that, that it so was before, interesting. Okay. 
No, I was gonna say before we started, I was uh, you know, waiting for you to get on. I was messing around on my new solar guitar, and you told me you yeah. had something solar related to talk about. So, so if you, want, very, if you want to say what you were saying, want to say first, yeah, go ahead, and then we'll. we'll, we'll yeah, this solar is the talk. solar thing's easy. Very long story short, one of the guitars that we tried out um, while I, while we were recording, Len had a nice solar guitar on the rack. Mm-hmm. And we didn't use it, I think, because honestly, it lives in the same place that the Keith Marrow lives in. So it didn't provide yeah. anything new or different, really. But yeah. my God, could I not stop playing that guitar, dude? <laughs> I literally, like, Len was even looking at me like, you really like that guitar. I can tell the way, by the way you're playing. That's like my theory about guitar mm-hmm. demos is you can always tell when somebody really likes a guitar because they play mm-hmm. way better. You know, they start experimenting yeah. with the guitar to see what it can do. Mm-hmm. And when they don't like a guitar, they just play the same stuff they always play. And yeah, so he yeah. could tell that I really like that solo. That's my only <laughs> actual experience with a solar guitar. Uh, although when his nice. band came to play, I think they all had solar guitars. Uh, we played oh, with okay. Len's band at a recent show at, uh, shoot, was it at St. Vitus? I think it was at St. Vitus. We played a show at St. Vitus okay. with Len's band. And uh, they all had solar guitars and it sounded great. His band's quite good. So that was a lot of fun, too. Um, yeah, I was going to say, long story short with the EP, you know, I'm really happy with it, not because I think it's perfect or anything, but it was, I just came in it completely differently because when I started Locked in the Vacancy, I knew nothing about guitar. I knew nothing about being in a band. Mm. I was just in, you know, my early twenties, late teens, early twenties, actually, I wasn't even 20 years old when I joined the band and I was just doing my best. We were all just doing our best. Like that, that's like the only thing we had was trying hard. We had nothing else. But now, having been to a place like Top Cow and worked at certain, you know, studios and worked mm-hmm. with certain people and having certain friends and being on the other side, keep in mind, when I saw, when I was in that band, I wanted to be a comic book artist first and foremost. I didn't even think I'd be in a band. I thought I was just going to be terrible mm-hmm. at guitar. I never thought I'd be mm-hmm. good enough to pay, <laughs> play in front of people, right? So yeah. my goal was to be a comic book artist. So I'm in the band with this, like, monkey on my back of, like, I still have to, what if I never make it like as a comic book artist, you know know what I mean? Yeah. And I was never afraid of that because I knew I'd rather die than like fail at being a comic book artist. But (laughs) it was still something I had to do. Right. And so every mistake Mm -hmm. and this for a lot of young artists might deal with this. You're worried that they might not let you in. So every shortcoming Mm -hmm. you have, it's hard for you to accept it, which is what you should do. But it's hard for you to accept it because it's it literally threatens you, right? Now, none of my artistic flaws threaten me. I have the option to improve. Like you were talking about with Mark mm-hmm. Silvestri. He had the option to fall in love with design because he's already a successful artist, right? He's already a professional. Yeah. And not even like Mark's success. Like he didn't even have to be that successful. You could take somebody less than you know a quarter successful as Mark. If they're a pro and they're getting work, they don't really have to change. But when you're not, when you haven't been hired yet, you you have to change. And so trying to be in a band with that energy, it's good in a way because you're trying really hard, but you also have no idea what you're doing. Coming back into the band around 20, well, really the pandemic when I came in, like post-pandemic. Coming back to the band post, post-pandemic, I'm looking at it from a strategic standpoint, knowing that if we do the right things, we'll create a product that we're happy with. And if we create a product that we're happy with and share it with people, that'll be good enough. Like, I don't care how much money we make or, you know, whether it's on this list or that list, like uh, you hope it turns out well, but that's all you can do is you do a good job. Don't be a jerk. 
play a bunch of shows and see what happens. So the first mission, though, was basically, I've never written a song in this band that I'm happy with. I just want to write and record an EP that we're all proud of. And I really felt like we knocked that out of the park as a group. And Mm -hmm. so in that sense, I'm really happy with it. Yet at the same time, I have so much higher ambitions for the full-length album. (laughs) Like in terms of what I want to do, it's not even close. Nice. Um, I won't get into that because I don't want to let that energy yeah. out. But definitely, uh, I think with this group, we have a shot at writing, you know, a really cool album. And I, I hope we can stick the landing on it. Well, you know, that 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 energy, that vibe is I think is really prevalent in the EP. It feels like a band that's saying that's kind of like making kind of almost like a mission statement almost yeah of like you know you 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 know like we were we you know we're we're here now this is who we are now fucking get ready <laughs> you know that's and- literally dude that's literally it right i'm like guys it's been damn near i mean for me it's been over 20 years since i was in a band yeah i don't want to keep playing songs that represent me before i was finished puberty like I want to play stuff that represents me now. And quite frankly, I've learned a lot about creation since then. Because I don't look at art and music as separate. You know, for me, they work very similarly. And um, I, the, 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 I learned art better from playing guitar. And there are some things about guitar that I understand easier because I understand art. So I'm like, let's... We're all, and the cool thing about like the guys is everybody's chill. There's nobody in the band that's like crazy or or really tough to deal with. They're all grown ups yeah. who are fairly laid back people, and like good guys. I'm like, and smart guys. So I'm like, yeah. let's write something that represents this group, because you know, uh, rest in peace to Rick, but he's not here. Hector's in his band, uh, which is a solid band, actually. You might like their band a lot. Um, Burn the Sky is the name of Hector's band. Hector okay. Rodriguez, uh, founder of Locked in a Vacancy, uh, co-founder with Diami. Diami was there super duper early as well. Um, but after that, I'm the next closest thing to an original member, and I'm technically the third guitar player of Locked in a Vacancy in this slot. <laughs> technically. Really, I'm the second. Um, I am on the first album. But John is the first. Mm-hmm. John Simity, uh, who's currently a salsa teacher, is the first guy to record. <laughs> and I'm like, let's represent the group that's here, and make something yeah. that is this locked in the vacancy. Let's not try to reach back into the past and, you know, follow old rules and patterns that we had before. And I think everybody did a really good job of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're at least just having a great time. And oh you're yeah. Really pumped for the for the LP. I'm excited to hear it. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, it, do you guys know when you're going to be sitting down to actually do that? Or is that still kind of up in the air? Or you can't really talk about it yet. I, I would say can't really talk about it yet. What I can say is that we are actively writing. And both me mm-hmm. and Mike as the guitar players who kind of start most of the writing, as well as Jamin, the drummer, who, who Jamin is very involved in songwriting structure as well. Um, but we do bring the risk to Jamin. That's the that's the general okay. process. Is me or Mike or me and Mike will bring the riffs to Jamin, and then we will grow it from there. Um, but we're all very excited to write stuff and are already writing stuff. And definitely one of the songs that it, we'll see if it if it gets finished if we can stick the landing on it. 
but it definitely has my favorite riff in it like that i've ever written <laughs> <laughs> nice 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 awesome awesome well you know I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to seeing the progress on that hopefully uh hopefully you guys will uh post sneak peeks of the studio stuff i always love seeing yeah. stuff like that and all that and um obviously you know at any point uh you guys are ready like i'd love to have you and maybe some maybe some of the other guys come back come on and we can, awesome. we can all chat about it and stuff like that um i don't want to keep you any longer again i know it's 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 even later over there than it is here um usually i start the show by asking comics coffee metal what are you digging right now we kind of blew right past that <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind just so i can keep consistent with having asked that question can we speed run it yes <laughs> let you go, okay so. So in yeah. comics, believe it or not, I have just recently, for the first time ever, read through American Vampire. Oh, okay. And I'm a massive fan of that book. I really yeah. love Scott Snyder's writing on that. And that book has definitely motivated me to want to do my own personal creator-owned work. Because oh, nice. Glad to hear that. even from when I was a little kid, look, I've always loved Marvel, you know, and DC and stuff like that. But creator-owned work has always been a special thing for me. Whether it's American stuff or, or manga, I've always loved creator-owned work. And that's really where my heart has always been. Not that I'm, I'll never be a guy that says I'm done doing Marvel or DC and stuff. I, that stuff's fun, and I, I look forward mm -hmm. to the next Marvel or DC thing I, I do. Um, but I have to do creator-owned work. And reading American Vampire really inspired me to, to get back on that. So I, I think I read six or seven volumes of it, like straight through. Oh, nice. um, so that's what I'm digging for comics. Coffee, it's still Javalia. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite brand of coffee. I also use Death Wish coffee. Uh, that's my okay. other one. So Javalia and Death Wish is all we will have in this house. We don't tolerate <laughs> anything else. <laughs> <laughs> we will literally well, walk now, now 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 it makes sense where you're like it's too late for coffee for me yeah if you're drinking death wish <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that stuff works man that stuff hits home uh, so uh, uh the, the one place I'll, I'll never go cheap on is coffee if i can't yeah. afford death wish and javalia when it's not on sale i just need to work more all right that's just motivation <laughs> to get myself in order because that i need to have that's, my that's... favorite brands of coffee and metal oh man uh so the new suffocation is really really good uh, really fantastic. If you're not, I mean, they're pretty on the death metal ish side, but, uh, definitely yeah. highly recommend them. Um, we're going to play with this band called Cypher and their new album is awesome. Really, really cool. And actually just so that I'm accurate, let me open up Spotify. So my, I don't know if, I, if this was on my radar at the time we spoke last, but the most recent protest, the hero album, uh, was it Palom piece? Uh, that is my favorite metal album right now overall okay uh it, it love 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 that album uh to death all right and um nice. i'm trying to think because i know there's one more i'm pulling on my spotify now that i wanted to get oh my god yeah pal i'm sorry palimpsest palimpsest I, I don't even know what that word means but great great, <laughs> great band uh so there's this band that's extremely similar to um the black dahlia murder i think they're called mm -hmm. neurosynthetic or or deathless is that deathless is the name of the band okay. so listen if it turns you off that they sound like black dahlia murder then don't bother 
But if you like Black Dahlia Murder and you wish there was more <laughs> stuff like that, run, don't walk. I actually heard them on Trey Xavier's channel. Uh, and I okay. think it might be their most recent song. Outstanding. <laughs> really, really yeah. great. I couldn't believe it was like that, you know, knocking it out of the park uh, with that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's mostly what I've been on recently uh, in terms of metal. Awesome, awesome. You know, if you don't mind, I would like to toss some recommendations your way. Please maybe check out. You you may have already checked these bands out. Um, first and foremost, in terms of death metal, I I suggest checking out Crypta. I don't know them. How do you spell that? C R Y P T A. It's an all female Brazilian death metal okay. band. And they, they, they are awesome. They are very classic death metal sounding. Do you have a song in particular you recommend? Um, well, their first album uh, is, I think, is, is, is just absolutely solid from um, start to beginning. Let me see. Echoes of the Soul. Um, I okay, think, I see that. Yeah, maybe, maybe Death Arcana or Shadow Within are probably their best representations of what they do. Cool. That's in the second album. Yeah, their 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 second album, Shades of Sorrow, is also really good. They got mm-hmm. they they switched one of their guitar players, and the the sound definitely gets um, leans a little more towards the darker yeah. end of things. Um, and then for uh, just just for some fucking riffs, man, Silosis. Uh, oh, I actually just started listening to those guys. In fact, a sign of things to come, man. That is one of my favorite albums of last year. I had it never heard just, of them, and my guys were talking I, yeah. about them, and I put them on. I was like, "Oh, yeah. this is fire! The great riffs, like you said, just fantastic." I love good riffs. Love good riffs. Yeah, yeah. He it just Josh Middleton is just like just fucking just Absolutely. a riff monster, man. That's I, you know, that it's definitely just been living in my uh, my uh, go tos albums for a while. Um, and then I, I always have to recommend my my favorite band of the moment, Orbit Culture. Like, I don't know how you are into like the deathcore kind of stuff. I loved actually um one of my favorite is um what do you call it um I know you, you it's funny you probably know who I'm going to say before I even say it uh what is this band Dean Dean Lamb's band uh do you know who I'm talking about Oh oh why why can't I think of the name I know Dean Lamb I, but I can't think I of the name I poisons you with my not remembering the name of Arkspire 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 yeah 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 okay okay dude even my brother, who's not a death metal guy, he likes metal, but he likes more Opeth, yeah. Dream Theater, stuff, mm-hmm. you know, more, generally more melodic. He has a little bit of room yeah. for a Black Dahlia here and there. But that song, uh, Death Corpse Aviator, dude, it is like, <laughs> to me, it, it fits into that category of like, there's a genre called great music where it doesn't matter if you listen to that music or not. That song, you'll let in. And I feel like Death Corpse Aviator is in that place. You put that on and people go, <laughs> okay, I get that. I don't yeah. get Death Corps, but I get that. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is so uh, much. Yeah. It is so much and so over yeah. the top, but I absolutely yeah. love it. I don't know. I don't know if people really consider Orbit Culture Death Corps anymore, mm-hmm. but they're v- definitely very heavy, very melodic. My, my best... I think the best representation of what they sound like to me is Gojira and Metallica's very angry teenage kid. Okay. Okay. Oh man. Speaking of which, not to swing it back to us, but dude, I think tattoo Inc was, I mean, tattoo.com 
they reviewed our, our EP and they called us metalcore on steroids. And that is literally the best <laughs> compliment of any kind I've received nice, ever in my nice, life. Nice, I, nice, I, nice. Absolutely. So what was yeah. the name of the uh, track you were talking about? Uh, Orbit, Orbit Culture? Culture? Well, you know, I'm, I would, you know, I'm going to pull it up. Um, so my favorite track off their latest album is called From the Inside. Okay. I see that one um, here. And they're they're very much about mood and vibe too they're you know but they also got big fat heavy riffs and they do this thing where they you know they'll they'll have the the, the kind of like the the downward end of the song mm-hmm. and then they'll, have, they'll they'll come back in with something kind of melodic maybe a piano maybe a, a light guitar or something and then the breakdown is just you know the one or two notes that are the heaviest fucking things you ever heard in your life yeah um the the ending riff to from the inside has probably moved more more uh, barbell weight than anything else <laughs> in my entire life. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, it's it is and it's, it's so simple and it is so ridiculous, but it's just like yes. Um, but yeah, they 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 straddle that line of where we're also because Gojira is also one of my probably my number two favorite band of all time, mm-hmm. and Gojira is definitely one of those bands where it's like they're they're so good because everything they do they could do stuff that's so much more complicated than what they're doing but what they always do is service the song and the vibe and they still do kind of weird things you know they still kind of you know play flat fists and and and, and instead of a regular power chord or something like that but it all sounds just nasty and gnarly and really good but yeah I, i i would check those out i'll if I if I remember, I'll uh, try to send you some links to some videos so it's easy to source out for you. Okay, cool. Um, I threw those songs yeah. into then, my Spotify. And, yeah, and then uh, you know I always got to bring up Spirit Boxes because I love Spirit Box. You're just a oh, great no. vibe. so one of my best friends, <laughs> uh, former bass player from Locked in the Vacancy, Spirit Box yeah. is probably in his top five bands ever, and is definitely his favorite new band. So mm-hmm. believe me, I get all the Spirit Box I can take. <laughs> and I like Spirit Box, I, but it's, it's, it's just a good, it's just a good time. Every time I you yeah. have a new song, like Sleep Token, it's just like, yeah, it's like just a good, you, you listen to it. It's just good. It's like, yeah. all right, cool. Yeah. I, I, I can dig on this, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so ho- hopefully one of those bands, uh, you'll, you'll enjoy. I'm going to check out some of the ones you mentioned, uh, for sure. And yeah, then, start uh, with and the, I'll... uh, listen to that entire Protest the Hero album all the way through. Okay. I know that's a all tall right. ask, but it's. It's one of those like concept albums where all of the songs fit well together. And I okay. think and I could give you my favorite song off of that album, but I think it hits better if you listen to the whole album. And then, you okay. know, after that you can play that song on repeat all the time like I do if you like it. But and yeah, that's that, uh Palimpsest? Palimpsest, yes. All right, all right. All right, it's it, it it's added to my on my iTunes library. Awesome, yeah that that's my favorite <laughs> album. Man, that's my favorite album in a long, long time. Oh, I did really, really okay. Yeah, I did really like the last yeah. Animals as Leaders a lot, uh, but Pelham says mm-hmm. is, I don't know, maybe since I first heard Pliny, that's like my favorite album since then. Like, really, really love that album. Nice, nice, awesome, awesome. Well, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Let you get some get get some rest. Thank you so much for coming back on. I can't wait till we chat again. This was um, a joy, man. Right Thank now, you for having everyone, me. Yeah. Let everyone know where they can find you and locked in a vacancy online. 
Yes. So most importantly, uh, Locked in a Vacancy, it's on Instagram. If you search that, you should find them. If you're having trouble, it's just locked underscore in underscore a underscore vacancy. Uh, if you find me, I'm Nelson Blake II on Instagram and Nelson Blake the numeral two on Twitter. But either way, if you type Nelson Blake the second, Nelson Blake II into the, um, the Googles, you'll find me pretty easily thanks to Marvel and DC. Because uh, every time they put out a book, <laughs> I get into the algorithm and I'm, I'm stuck there forever, like Neo from The Matrix. So <laughs> worst things, worst things in the world. <laughs> I'm sure. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll, so I'll make sure there's links to all that stuff in the show notes below, so everyone can just easily click and, and go follow and check everything out. Once again, Nelson, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Don. Always a pleasure, man.